as soon as the weather turned warmer a week or two ago, the boys and I started riding our bikes around town. And, uh, you know, I, I had gotten mine in working order recently. Um, I got a bike last year, but I didn't ride it. I needed a seat with a little more padding on it to make up for the fact that I was born without any natural padding for riding a bike. And so it felt, it just felt good, though, to finally get on the bike and to get outside because there's something about when the, the season starts to shift, like you can just smell spring in the air. And so getting a little bit of warm air, slightly warm air anyway, and that smell of spring rushing by your face, like that was just really enjoyable and really fun for about three minutes, and then everything started to hurt, because turns out I hadn't really ridden a bike since I was a kid, so there was a lot of muscles that hadn't been used in a while that let me know it, Uh, and on top of the fact that I'm not in really any sort of shape at all, it's been a long time since I've done any strenuous activity, and the, you know, a year in, you know, staying at home has not helped in terms of snacking and not moving, Uh, so this was kind of the first time in a long time where I had, like, work any muscles. I had any sort of physical exertion. And so um, what happens, I, to me anyway, especially when I'm out of shape, is when I start anything that's a physical, you know, effort, immediately I get this feeling that I am dying of thirst. And you know, it's, like, it's not that like, oh man, I'm, I could go for a cup of water. It's this like, if I don't get water in the next 10 minutes, I will die. You know that like deep like, you know, and the more I'm huffing and puffing on the bike, the more dry my throat gets. And I mean, I just can't think of anything else on this bike ride, but how badly I want a drink. And I think we've all been there, right? And, and we get this kind of deep desire, this like, I need to have my thirst quenched, not just with our thirst and doing physical activity, but there's other areas of life where we feel those like really like deeper level needs. Um, you know, we can experience this in areas again other than when we're just winded. Um, like for example, perhaps this year has left you increasingly more isolated and scared to be around people, and as a result, you felt maybe loneliness like you've never experienced before. And that loneliness can show up in a lot of different ways, like um, sadness, depression, anxiety, and those. Symptoms are just your body, again, crying out, your body thirsty for connection in a way that maybe you've never experienced before. Maybe in this past year, you've been busier than you've ever been at life. That's one of the weirdest things about this past year and this whole pandemic thing was that some people, I mean, they had all the time in the world to learn new skills. You know, I've heard of people learning languages, learning instruments, that kind of thing. And then there was a whole segment of society that had never been busier. People in the medical community were just slammed for a long time, right? Um, There's a lot of people who became homeschool teachers for the first time. And and maybe homeschool teachers is too generous of a term for some of us who were parents who were helping. Um, Maybe like homeschool facilitators, uh, because I wasn't really doing any teaching. I mean, it's like, can you help me with math? not really, like, I don't understand that, like, that's weird, Um, and so, and Abby did way more of this than I did, um, but I'd still be over here working and get a random, like, can you come be tech support, so I'd run home and try to unplug everything and try to get the internet going so they could do Zoom calls, and, and so there's a lot of people that just, I mean, this year has left them 
wiped out, exhausted on a, on a level that maybe they've never been before, mentally, physically, emotionally. And that can show up in a lot of different ways, from, from sluggishness to struggle focusing on any really single task, um, having no creativity. Uh, maybe that thing you, I do this sometimes, where uh, the moment you wake up, you start doing math until like how many hours till I can get back here because my pillow is my best friend. Like, like you start doing that kind of stuff, especially today on a time chain Sunday, right? And so there's a lot of ways that we have these deep, deep needs in our life that go beyond the physical, but that's, in a sense, our body crying out for these various needs, these thirsts to be quenched. And, and you know, a lot of us, if not most of us, if not all of us, um, have these areas where where we're thirsty for something, we're hungry for something, and our souls are crying out. And as for, you know, this thing that started out for, you know, to be this two-week-long stay home, and it turned into this year that was so uncertain that we really didn't know what was ahead, and it felt like we wanted, why can't I go back to the way it was? When will we get back to the way things were? And we were in this weird, uncertain time. You can kind of start to ask, okay, God, what's going on? Are you here? Are you taking us anywhere? What's the point of this giant detour in life? How long till we can hug each other again to see people smiling faces again? How long until we don't have to jump through all these rude extra hoops that the pandemic seems to have us jumping through so that we can just relax and get back to life again? Well, today we are going to look at an exceptional psalm. We've been in this series called Singing the Sacred where we're looking at psalms. And we're going to look at a psalm that is great to read when you feel that you are in between good places. When you've left the, a, a good spot behind and you feel like you're not quite to another good spot yet, and you're in between and you're wondering, how am I going to get there? When will I get there? <clears throat> is God ever going to get me there? And it's the 23rd Psalm. And Psalm 23 is probably the most famous of all the Psalms. We, um, a lot of people can quote it. It's used a lot, a whole lot at funerals. In fact, I would say probably 75%, if not more, funerals probably quote Psalm 23 in some capacity. But it's really a shame that we limit it to just funerals because, again, it's so encouraging and applicable to us when we are in this weird, dry, in-between place. So let's just go ahead and get into it. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we start off with this, you know, declaration, God's my shepherd. And referring to God as a shepherd is not like a, it's it's a pretty common thing throughout Scripture. It's a really well-used metaphor, but it doesn't make it any less weird. Um, I mean, we don't have shepherds the way that they used to, at least not too much around here. Um, But in, you know, the ancient world, the shepherd was somebody who went out and wandered with the sheep, and they smelled like animals, and they were, you know, dirty, and they, you know, you didn't want to be close to them because they hadn't bathed in a long time, and they didn't smell good, and, and they were just kind of seen as like the bottom of the barrel in terms of society. In fact, um, one good hint you get of this in the Bible is if you go to the end of Genesis, um, when uh, a guy named Joseph had become a really powerful guy in Egypt, and his family wants to move to Egypt to be with him, and they were all shepherds, Joseph relocates them to a place that was a well away from any Egyptians because in Egyptian culture, they thought shepherds were offensive and they didn't want to be around these nasty people. So he like, why don't you guys live over there so that we're not like causing any up uh, ruckus. So shepherds in the ancient world, again, not anything to be proud of. And yet this weird thing is the Lord is this person, like this person who's the bottom of the barrel. But 
you can't make sense of this analogy looking at it from this perspective of somebody who's normal or important in society. You've got to look at this from the perspective of the sheep. From the sheep's perspective, there's nobody greater than the shepherd. The shepherd was the one who made sure they got food, made sure they got water, made sure they were safe. The shepherd was the one who was completely responsible for their well-being. And it's, it's the thing that, we, that you kind of have to acknowledge then is if God's the shepherd, what does that make us? The sheep. I don't know if you know anything about sheep, but they are dumb. They are not, not smart animals. Um, when Abby and I went, we had the opportunity to go to Ireland a few years ago, and we went to a working sheep ranch. And that was kind of one of the things the guy said, oh, they're not smart. They're not going to take care of themselves. We got to be here. And he's got to, he trains his dog for like three years to, to herd the sheep around and stuff. And he's like, we got to be here because they, can, they cannot take care of themselves. They are not smart animals. And so in this little metaphor that is started out here, and this psalm was written by King David, who spent early parts of his life as a shepherd. Um, he's saying like, we're, we're the dumb sheep. Like, we, we need somebody to guide us and lead us and protect us as we walk through this life because it can be dangerous and it's got a lot of ups and downs, but the shepherd is there to make sure the sheep not only survive, but that they thrive. And so our Lord is such a good shepherd that it says that when we follow his guidance, we let him lead us, we don't want for anything that all of these needs are taken care of. Everything is met. Every need is met. Let's keep going. Verse 2. Says he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Now, every time I come across this psalm, by the way, I just, there's something about reading that sentence. He restores my soul. Like the more tired or hungry my my soul is to be restored, like those verses almost give me goosebumps when I read this. So he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Or you could read that saying, he leads me down the right path for his name's sake. Now, if you've ever been to Israel or even just seen pictures of Israel, you're going to notice that in those pictures, the main color scheme of the landscape is brown. And so when it talks about green pastures here, you're like, are there any over there? Because you just don't see a lot of those in pictures. It is a dry, hot, arid place most of the year. It can be oppressively hot. And so to find water, places where there is grass, those little nourishing places were few and far between. Um, Israel actually has a lot of these little like natural springs all over the place, but not all of them are good drinkable water. Some of them are really bitter, acidic, nasty stuff that you'd never want to put in your body. And a shepherd has to know where the water is, know where these places of nourishment are, and how to get the sheep there, which is incredibly impressive when you think of a shepherd leading a flock of a hundred or more, maybe several hundred, of nature's dumbest animals. Like, I can't even get my kids ready for school in the morning and I got three of them, and they, can, they should be able to figure most of it out themselves. And yet I'm struggling, and here is a one person leading a hundred sheep. Oh my gosh, i got to tell you about what happened this week. Abby has been gone for um, about four days. Her mom had a cornea transplant and has to lay flat on her back. So um, Abby went to help uh, take care of her. So she took Eleanor, thank the Lord, because... With two, I was struggling, okay? Um, so on, on Thursday, I had to, had to get them ready for two days of school. And, and Friday was a half day. So, like, easy peasy, right? Thursday, we get up. 
We've got lunches. We've got water bottles because, you know, all the water fountains are taped off still at the school. Um, got them dressed. We had masks on. We had backpacks. We had Chromebooks. I got them to school even a little earlier than normal without a hitch. And I felt like I was the best dad in the world. I am on top of the, I got this. I can do anything. This is awesome. Look at me go. Friday comes around. And we get up and we're doing things and getting breakfast. And, and Jude is being particularly helpful. He's like, Dad, I've got water bottles already and filled up. And he even went and puts them out in the car. So I'm like, good. I don't have to worry about him. He's on it. Okay? Everybody, get in the car. we got to go. Let's go. So we get in the car and we're, we're driving. I pull up to the school. And as we pull into the school, James is like, oh, no, I forgot my jacket. I was like, okay, that's not the worst thing in the world. It's a little chilly today, but... He's always hot, so I was like, he'll probably be able to survive a 15, 20-minute recess without it. That's fine. I said, Jude, do you have your coat? And Jude said, I don't have anything. I said, what do you mean? He's like, I don't have my coat. I don't have my backpack. I don't have my Chromebook. All I sent them, all they had on was masks. Like, I could literally just drop them off, and they could get into the building, but that was about it. And I go, oh, geez, oh, no. And so I was like, well, I'll have to, I'll go home, and I'll bring everything right back for you. And he said, Dad, I don't want to go in. It's embarrassing to have forgotten everything. I said, Buddy, you just say my mom's out of town and my idiot dad had to get us to school today and he did not do a good job. And he's like, oh, okay, great plan. He was like totally on board with that. So, he, so I sent him in. I start heading back to Loami. I catch a train coming back and I caught a train leaving again. And so I'm like, I'm never going to be able to get there. So I, I walk in with all the things. I hand it to the secretaries and I'm telling them, my gosh, what a failure I am today. And one of the secretaries says, oh, i got to tell you this. She's like, James comes in, and I commented on his shirt. I said, hey, shark boy, because he had a shark on it. And James goes, oh, no, I forgot to change out of my pajamas. <laughs> so it was just like, I mean, I, could, you can't, I couldn't help but laugh. It was like, wow, could I have failed any harder in that whole, could I have, I mean, I could not have, I mean, biffed it any more than I did. And I didn't have to Again, I didn't have to break lunches or anything. It was like the easier day, and I totally couldn't hack it. And so, you know, I look at this stuff, and like this, a verse like this, and I, I get so impressed with this guy. The thought of being able to lead these sheep everywhere safely and, and ensure that they're, you know, protected. And yet, I, you know, here I am. I can't even get my two, two boys to school. Because, again, sheep aren't smart. They, they're not even like... Built with like survival instincts, they uh they're, they're like cotton candy on legs. Like they don't do anything. I watched a, a little uh, animal documentary video a few weeks ago that was talking about how they were working with octopi and how they could um with some of them they could get them to answer simple math equations. I didn't know how that worked out. I don't think it was like a chalk and a chalkboard with a tentacle wrapped around. It. I don't know what they did, but I was reading it and I'm like, wow, that's so incredibly how smart some animals are. Sheep did not have that. Um, I also saw how some uh, snakes, when they hiss at you and they stick their tongue out, they can actually sense moisture and where moisture would be in the surrounding area. And I'm like, yeah, that's really cool that these animals have these incredible, incredible adaptations uh, for, for finding and surviving. Um, Arctic foxes, I don't know if you know this, they have really big ears. They will like pivot their ears like this and twist their heads, and they can echolocate like a mouse that's underneath like two feet of snow, and they can tell exactly where it is without ever seeing it, and they can hear it, and then they can jump right down into the snow and snag it with their mouth in one attempt. It's really cool. Again, sheep 
None of that. No survival instincts. They will walk off a cliff. They will walk into water. They just have none of that. And so you have this guy who is perfectly walking and leading them around so that they don't just you know, die because that's what they would do on their own. And the picture that the, per- the author is, is painting for us here is that as we walk through this life, there's going to be a ton of times when we don't know where to go. We don't know what's best for us. We, don't, we can't tell if you know, path A or path B is going to be a blessing and which one's going to be a curse. We can't always tell that and that life is going to be complicated and full of decisions that we don't always know how to make. And with all of these ups and downs and situations that we don't know what to do, we're getting this picture that we can trust our Heavenly Father to be the main one to lead and guide us. He is our shepherd. And not only that, he wants to lead us well. It says he wants to lead us down the right path for his name's sake. Because his glory, his, his honor is on the line. And he wants to take care of us so that we can go down a path that will glorify him and also be good for us. So that we can thrive and flourish. And then verse 24. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Or the word can simply mean pain or unpleasantness. I will fear no evil. For your rod, or for you are with me, excuse me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so we're starting to see this, again, this great picture of trust and, and that we can have an intimate relationship with our creator. And one thing you'll notice here in, is um, the language as we go through the psalm, it gets more and more intimate. At the beginning, it's talking about God. You know, he is my shepherd. He does these things for me. And now it's talking to God. You are my safety. You are my comfort in these moments. Um, it's it's uh, the level of intimacy shift of thinking about me like it's different when I tell somebody that I love my wife versus when I look her in the eye and tell her that I love her. Like that's the difference. It's growing closer. It's leaning closer into God here. And so as this intimacy increases, we also begin to see the absolute depths of trust that we can have with God, for God in all situations. Um, if you've ever been to the Middle East or, or Israel, um, there, it's a, it's, it can be a very mountainous place, and all over there are these things called wadis. They're these ravines, um, W-A-D-I, by the way, a wadi. And, <clears throat> excuse me, there are these deep ravines that in the rainy season have some really rushing rivers at the bases of them. And so they can be really kind of treacherous little rivers or streams. And in the dry season, though, the waters go away, and these wadis serve as um, paths through the mountains, good ways to make it from point A to point B without having to climb over things, right? And so um, the thing, though, about walking through these wadis is that, I have a picture of one, actually. I highlighted it in blue, by the way, because it's kind of hard to see. Again, because everything's brown, uh, but the, the path through this narrow little ravine here, um, when, what, most of the time what you'll notice is that the sun doesn't shine at the bottom of these things. Unless it's straight up noon, there's not any sun down there. And because they're narrow and they wind, there's not going to be any breezes blowing through there. And so you'd think that since the sun didn't get there, that it maybe it would stay cool most of the day. That is not the case. Like these things trap the heat. And so walking through the bottom of a wadi, it can be oppressively hot. And you can just be drenched with sweat as you navigate through these things, right? And so you walk into this wadi or you approach this wadi thinking, okay, this is going to be really unpleasant. But it could be worse because of all the little dark corners and twists and turns, robbers would often hide around the corner. And since they knew these were well-traveled paths, they would hide and then jump out and assault people and rob them. And so you could be walking through this place and maybe not even make it out 
with your life intact. And so these were very necessary paths to walk, but they could be really scary and uncertain. And they could be incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Now again, this thing says, this, this psalm says, I can walk into this valley that's dark and shadowy, and I don't have to fear any sort of evil, any sort of pain, any sort of suffering, because God is with me. Now think of a guy like walking up to one of these things, and he's got this job. i got to lead these sheep through this tiny little winding road, and i got to hope that I, one, make, get them all through there, but two, I don't know who's in there trying to hurt me. I don't know if we're all going to get too hot and have a heat stroke and pass out and never make it through and die from exhaustion. There's just this such uncertainty walking into these dark little valleys. And I don't know how you handle moments in life where you see a path ahead that doesn't look great, but you don't really know how bad it's going to get or if it's even going to be that bad. But I start playing the what-if game when life has, is in front of me and I don't know really what's going to happen. Um, because, um, or, and when I, when I play the what-if game, it's never like a good what-if game, right? It's never like, what if I win the lottery? What if I make millions of dollars? What if I magically am able to get the, a brand new car? Like, it's never, it's always like, what if someone I love dies? What if, you know, will someone, will we be okay? Will there be a financial problem? Will we be good enough to keep our jobs? You know, there's always, it's always the bad what-ifs, right? And, and we can play that game, you know, because like, I mean, if there's anything this last year has taught us, it's that I often... We often don't know what's next. I mean, this whole year was just one big uncertainty. And so we end up asking all of these questions. You know, what is the road ahead going to be? And worrying about the worst case scenarios. But what this is saying is that even if the worst is ahead, we don't have to fear that pain and unpleasantness because we never, ever walk it alone. We are there with God beside us. And the really weird thing that's particular, it says, what comforts this, the, the author here is the rod and the staff of their shepherd. Now, a rod was like a short club type thing that the shepherd would use to protect the sheep. And so if, uh, you know, if a wolf came in or something to you know, attack and pick off a sheep, they could get that bat out, essentially, and go to work. Um, then they had the staff, which is more like a walking stick. And that could be a weapon, but mostly what that was used for was whacking the sheep to get in line and go where they needed to go. And sometimes the whack was a little bit painful if the sheep was being a little bit stubborn, but it was a little bit of sting to make sure that he went in a safe direction. And so these were things saying, this is him saying, you know, I don't have to fear what's ahead because I know, one, God's protecting me, and two, God is guiding me. So even if there's a, a, an unpleasant road ahead, I know that God is going to be with me, helping me through this in some fashion. And then we get to Psalm 23 verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And so here we drop the shepherd metaphor and we move into uh, this idea of God being this gracious host who is powerful and generous. And this verse was always weird. I, I always had trouble making sense of this verse of all of them. It, it, you know, in this psalm that's so comforting and so encouraging, I just like, sets a table? Like, I don't, like, what, what's the place setting have to do with this? And in high school, in my senior year, I took a kind of a home ec class, and we spent two weeks learning how to set a proper formal place setting. And it was the worst two weeks of my life. I absolutely hated that class because I thought 99.9% of the meals I'm going to eat in my life are not going to have a salad fork. I'm not going to have three spoons. I'm not going to need to have my cup this 
position and 30, you know, 30 centimeters away from, I just, it didn't, it seemed like the most pointless, unusable thing here, okay? And so when I read this, I was like, I don't, what does it mean that God gives me a nice place setting? I didn't get it, okay? Well, let me give you a different picture that hopefully helped make sense of it, right? Um, let's pretend that you're in elementary school, and there, t- there's some kids in your class that, it, aren't nice. They either want to pick on you, push you, beat you up, something. They want to basically ruin your day. They have it out for you. And so if you can be around the teacher, you know that you're safe. You know that that those kids, they're not going to pick on you because they're scared of the teacher, which is always interesting because some of the scariest teachers I had were some of the smallest, petitest, little old ladies you know, and it's like, don't cross Mrs. Adams because she'll drop the thunder on you. Like that kind of like so. So it didn't matter. You get back to the teacher, you were safe, right? But let's say the teacher also not only do you get back to the classroom and you're safe, but let's say the teacher also really likes you because you're nice and you're sweet and you do all your work on time and you're helpful to all the other kids. And so the teacher decides to reward you on this particular day by letting you pick the games you're going to play at the next recess or picking out what music gets to play while the class has some computer time or you get to be the line leader that leads everyone to lunch, which is a big deal, believe it or not, right? And so let's say, not only, so here you are, you're in this situation where there's these people that don't like you, they want to do the worst to you, but because you're around somebody that's bigger and stronger than they are, not only are you protected, but they have to sit and watch while you get basically special treatment for the entire day. It would drive them mad. And that's kind of the picture that is painted here, that even when we are around people or situations that seek to harm us, because God is with us, we know that even in the midst of that, we can find and be blessed. And so that doesn't, though, mean that bad things are never going to happen. That's not what this psalm is saying at all. There's still dark, shadowy paths to walk. There's still dry stretches of land between one green pasture and another. But when we think of, of God's protection, we got to think of it not from an earthly standpoint. Because too often we just think God's job is to make sure every problem in this world goes away. We've got to think that God's main care for you is that we would move past this life and have salvation so that we get to live in eternity with him. Because of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, our sins are forgiven. Our, all, all of the things that keep us from our Heavenly Father are taken away and we get our, our eternal destinations secured. And because Jesus rose from the grave, we know that one day we also will be raised as well so that we can enjoy an unending pain-free life with him. So we have to look at this from an eternal perspective that maybe the, the, the green pasture that, that we're headed to next might not be this life all working out the way we want, but maybe it's God moving us in a direction that leads us to having our eternities secured with him. And so that means that even when this life feels empty and barren in ways that leave us lonely and anxious and exhausted and thirsty for relief, we can know that God is ultimately moving us toward a green pasture. It means that even when we face circumstances of pain and suffering, even when our worst fears come to pass, when we get that scary diagnosis at the doctor, when age begins to take its toll on our bodies, we can't have to be overcome. We don't have to be overcome with grief and fear in these bad, scary moments because we know that at the very least, God is letting, not letting us walk through this alone and that he has something greater for us beyond this life. And one thing that always amazes me as a pastor is that I, I see a lot of people, I get the privilege of seeing a lot of people um, who are in the last days of life. And death is one of the, like, that's like number one scary thing, right, that most of us 
are consistently afraid of and fearing. And, and it's supposed to be, you know, we think it's going to be painful. We think it's going to be uncertain and unknown and scary. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and yet I see the people that have deep faith, when I see them in their last days, there are people who are so full of grace and joy and they're filled with a sense of peace that doesn't make any sense knowing what they're about to face. Because they've learned that when I trust God, the worst can happen to me, and he's still good. That I can have hope even in this moment when, when everything around me is uncertain because I know that God has my eternity taken care of. And it's just this amazing, amazing, inspiring moment that, again, I feel blessed to walk into those moments knowing that you know, these people have, have been to that scariest place and seen that God is enough in a way that I have not experienced yet. And so what this psalm was ultimately trying to teach us, it's that God is trustworthy in absolutely all circumstances. He's trustworthy in all circumstances. And I know that can sound trite and like a little coffee cup statement. But again, the more we enter into these moments where life is uncertain and scary, and the more we choose to look to our Heavenly Father and trust in Him and His guidance, the more we start to understand that He is good no matter all that comes to pass. And then we come to the most beautiful conclusion of this psalm that says in verse 6, And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So why do goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life? Because God follows you all the days of your life. The shepherd doesn't leave his sheep alone, even when we get lost. Even, like I said, during communion, when we wander off the path and we kind of enter into some sinful territory where we're kind of rejecting him and, and not following his leadership, he still comes and he rescues us and uses that staff to come and lead us back to where it's safe. And so we can know that that. That God, his presence is unending. He doesn't walk away from us even when we walk away from him. He's always following, protecting, and guiding his sheep. And when it says we dwell in the house of the Lord forever, this means to be in God's presence, to be with him in all, at all times. And we know that when this life is over in eternity, that's one of the pictures we get painted for us, is that we will live with Jesus. He will be with us. Not in a way like right now where we say, you know, where we, we, we pray and we try to have these experiences where we feel God's presence, but it'll be in a physical, tangible way that, that goes to a whole other level than anything we've experienced in this life. But yet we also do get to experience the presence of God in this life. In so many moments, we get to see his, his we get to experience him as he leads and guides us when we read his word and we have our eyes open to a better way to live. Um, and so we get to walk and live with God forever. We, this is such a, a psalm of hope and joy. And it's an utter shame, like I said earlier, that this is reserved for funerals. And that that's what we think of when we read it. Because it's not just a funeral psalm. It's a psalm for any time we are in between point A and point B. Anytime we're, we're kind of in between one green pasture and another and we feel like everything around us is dry and brown and we don't know where to go. This is a reminder that God is good even when the landscape of your life doesn't look good. And so in these moments, when we're facing these difficult circumstances, we know that whatever we're feeling, whatever we're going through, our good shepherd is with us. He's with you on the dry roads, he's with you in the dark valleys, and he's in, with you in the moments that bring you even great pain. He is your good shepherd who will guide and protect you absolutely through anything. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your 
guiding presence. We are grateful that you are with us in all things. Even when we stray, you, you don't let us alone. As Jesus gives the parable of the good shepherd who would leave 99 sheep just to find out the one who's in danger. He'll, he'll chase after the one who's, who's strayed off the path. And, and yet, Father, we, we want to trust you like this. And in so many seasons when we feel dry and empty and lonely and hurting, uh, we struggle to, to trust you and we struggle to feel your presence. And it's in those times, Father, I just pray that you would fill us, fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would have such confidence in your presence with us, that we can stand tall even when we face terrifying circumstances, and that when those moments of our worst fears come true, we can learn that it's not as scary as we thought it was going to be. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's painful, but, but you were with us through it all. And in, even in the midst of some of the most miserable circumstances, Father, you, have, you can bring about good and growth and blessing in ways that we never understood, through in the seasons, that we, the moments and circumstances that we never would have signed up for, you can still meet us in the middle of those and bring us growth and maturity that we couldn't have gotten any other way. And so, Father, we trust you always, in good and in bad, and as hard as that is, and this is a statement that we make with our mouths, I think, before we are able to make it with our hearts, but we do, we, we proclaim that we're going to trust you in anything. And so, Father, as we come in here, some of us dry and hungry for more for relief from whatever circumstances we're going through, I pray that not only would we crave relief, but more than that, we would, we would crave your presence in the midst of um, the, the dry landscape that we're in, the dry moment that we're in. And so, Father, we thank you for the, the gift of your son and the sacrifice that he made on the cross so he could break the hold of sin and death on our lives so that we could one day look forward to an amazing hope of the ultimate green pasture of a remade existence, a remade life without pain or sorrow or suffering so that we can live with you forever, truly, truly in your presence. I pray that we can have even a fraction of the trust that this psalm encourages us to have. And so we love you and we, we trust you, but help us to trust you even more. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.